When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. What's up, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Straight Up Sabres, presented by the Hockey Podcast Network and the Charging Buffalo, brought to you by Thin Man Brewery. As always, I'm Brendan. And I'm Taylor. And Taylor, horrific, embarrassing, major missed opportunity, brutally frustrating, all ways to describe the Sabres' 5-4 to four shootout loss against the Caps on Wednesday night. Not only did the Sabres blow two two-goal leads against a team they are neck-and-neck neck with in the playoff race, they did it after they got a ton of help on Tuesday as the Caps, Penguins, Red Wings, Senators, and Islanders all lost. Goaltending continues to be an issue for this team as UPL simply loves to give up at least four goals a game, but this one was not all on him. It was a total and complete third-period collapse. So, Taylor, let's just get right into it. What were your thoughts on the Sabres blowing yet another winnable game down this crucial stretch? Yeah, it makes it really hard to feel like the playoffs are actually going to happen. I know they're really not that far out of it, all things considered, but the position that they're in, they're behind Florida now. They're basically, I mean, they have two games in hand on the Caps. They're right there still with, like, Ottawa. It, it's not good. It's it, They're in a terrible position. And I just think looking at the last two weeks I think they've now lost four one goal games including two in overtime that's that's really brutal that's I, I don't it's hard for me to see how you could do that and still make the playoffs it's it's just a it's a devastating loss and it's an annoying one too uh for starters they were up four two they're up three one and four two at different points they uh they were kind of in control until the third period and you know you had the obvious thing that would happen which is that washington came on strong an effort to try to get back in the game and the savers that we said a million times they're not good at parking the bus whatever uh metaphor you want to use they're not good at closing out games part of that is because their goalies can't make a goddamn save so you have the the capitals get within four three and then you have the end of the game you have an interesting um set of circumstances so you have Lubchushkin kind of, or Lubushkin um, winding up to take a slap shot, and Ovechkin sticks his stick in there, which kind of messes him up, and that's called as a penalty. When I saw that, a lot of people seem to think it was a weak call, but I, I, I kind of thought it was the right call. Like you can't stick, you can't put your stick into someone else's stick when they're shooting, especially coming from behind. And frankly, um, before this led to the Sabers losing and all that, and everything else we're about to get to, uh, that play struck me as why Ovechkin. Um, despite how cool players and fun to watch and how he's going to break the goal record, why he's not 
as good as uh, as I think I'm going to say Crosby, obviously, but kind of a few other players on a year to year basis when not considering longevity, because he is so insanely goddamn lazy on defense. Like if I was a Capitals fan, I would have been furious about that play. We call or not like he just kind of hung around at center ice and then saw an opportunity to maybe steal the puck and made a super lazy play. Whatever that to me, that was almost a deserved penalty. Like that's I know you don't usually make that call at that point in the game, but it was close enough to a penalty. And then, you know, because they made that call, you have to worry about a makeup call happening. So you have you have is Alex Tuck um, getting shoved like 10 feet out of the the zone on the power play after he had gotten rid of the puck and putting his hand up for one second in the guy's face and getting a penalty dumb play by tuck. You can't, you can't do that. You have to know makeup call is probably imminent. I would assume you'd have to know that as an NHL player, you know how those things work, mm-hmm. uh, but still uh, just absolutely fucking embarrassing horseshit from the NHL though. And I'll get to the Sabres in a second, but this shit drives us fucking crazy. And this was two years ago. Two years ago, we had this on here. You could have talked about it for the last 100 years. But the fact that penalties in the NHL are not penalties. It's not that. It's not like you don't you don't just call a penalty when a penalty happens. You have to somehow make it balanced. It doesn't work like that anywhere else in the world. You see this happen in the NFL. You have like, oh, this team had 100 yards in penalties. This team only had 30 because they were more disciplined. That's the story of the game. The NBA, you have, oh, this team drew way more fouls, way less fouls. And, of course, you have bad officiating everywhere. But the disparity can exist when one team is more disciplined than another. And discipline doesn't matter in the NHL because the refs will bail you out. And they fired uh, Tim Peel for that, for just being caught on a hot mic, saying what everyone knows. So in a game like this with playoff implications, you have a call that I would call, I would say the Ovechkin one's a ticky-tacky call. But everyone knows why the tuck one happened. There's no agenda behind the Ovechkin call. It's just you called a penalty you didn't necessarily have to call in a big situation. So what do you do instead? You miss a penalty, which by the way, I don't actually remember who Alex Tuck roughed, but they missed that. 100% missed that call. Like that's, you cannot do that. You can't like Rob Gronkowski toss someone out the club that's not in the NHL rulebook. You can't just grab someone and shove them out of the zone after they get rid of the puck. And to like call that roughing and that situation is ridiculous. And to me, it's not a fair trade-off. Even if you want to say those are equally bad calls, it's not a fair trade-off. When one team is protecting a lead and the other team uh, is trying to get back in the game, having one team have one minute of power play time, one minute, then one minute of four on four, and then the other team having one minute of power play time, not a good trade-off for the team that's in the lead. It's, it, it favors uh, obviously favors the trailing team. Uh, with that being said, the Sabres had uh, a lot of chances in overtime. They didn't bury, which is unfortunate. Um, so a, a couple boneheaded plays there, but they did kind of control the run of play in overtime. And then the shootout was just embarrassing. UPL looked – I never even saw Robin Leonard look that hapless in a shootout. Yeah. Had, like he had no chance. And frankly, both the Sabres shooters looked like they had never uh, done a shootout before. Uh, so that's ridiculous. So it's really an annoying – uh, annoying game all around, and it's it's not just this game. It's it's that on the back of losing close to the Oilers, uh, that ridiculous game. <laughs> another another bad call in the Islanders game, as you and Denis talked about last week, and then giving up ten. How annoying that game was. Losing another overtime game against the Rangers. Uh, and obviously beating the Leafs is fun, but that it's just an absurdly annoying game. And you know, frankly, uh-huh. like I said, just one more thing I want to say is oh, yeah. they look. As always, when a team when you're up to the other team is going to come harder, they're going to have more shots, more opportunities. That's what score effects are in hockey. It's a fact of life. But you do not have to get to dominated as bad as the Sabres did in the third period. They they just got destroyed after a For game sure. that was pretty even up to that point. 
Which is, again, that's something that's been a a reoccurring theme with this team where they don't know how to park the bus. Another point I want to just bring up, too, you alluded to it there. This has been a a string of games where the officiating has just been horrendous. I mean, you mentioned the Islanders. I'm thinking about the Lightning game, too. Like, it's not a matter of just, like, we're in the middle of a downward tail spin and we're getting mad and our emotions are getting the best of us. And we're looking for somewhere to place the blame. And we're just blaming the refs. Like, no, this is objectively bad calls that are being made and missed for that matter in a pretty, you know, decent stretch of games here. All that being said though, the losses are inexcusable. Like the losses are on them. It's not about the refs. We can, those two things can coexist where like the refs are fucking it up right now but they are the ones that are losing these games. Like, Absolutely. Let's think about this here. I mean, you go back to the 28th where I think all of this really started. You have, you know, prior to that, you have the rough loss against Toronto, that six to three loss. And coming out of that, it was like, all right, they need to go on a run and they need to bounce back. You have impressive wins over Tampa, Florida, and Washington on the 23rd, 24th, and 26th of February, respectively. Then comes February 28th, where they lose 5-3 to three to the Columbus Blue Jackets, one of, if not the worst team in the NHL. Yep. Just an inexcusable loss in that game. There's no getting around it. In a meaningful, like, end of February, early March game against the worst team in the NHL, there is no ifs, ands, or buts. You need to win that game. Then you go to Boston and and you just get dog walked by Boston. I mean, I, I actually think that was at home. Or no, it wasn't away game. Yeah. So you have that seven one loss against Boston. Then you have a tough loss, or then you have that nice win five to three against Tampa. And then here's where it gets to the to the tough stuff here. Yeah, three to two loss against Edmonton. Three to two loss against the Islanders. You get dog walked again a week after you do by Boston, by Dallas, ten to four loss. Then you have an overtime two to one loss against the Rangers. And then you have, of course, the nice win against Toronto. And then you do another, you know, you have the the shootout loss against the Capitals. So, yeah, like it, it has been a trend throughout the season. And it's becoming glaringly evident now that this team, whether it's maybe you could, there's, a, I think, a few potential things that I, I could subscribe to here for beliefs of why this is happening. Maybe it's coaching. Maybe it is the youngest team in the NHL playing games you know their 70th 74th whatever game in march with a bunch of guys who are in their late teens early 20s who haven't had that experience before and they're running out of gas very real possibility i don't know how you know if you want to lean towards one or the other but i think both of those things i I absolutely can hear an argument for I, i i think that's very very real they also this is a team of guys who have not been to this stage of the game yet like uh, most of these guys on this team, we talked about this last episode, have no experience at all with this kind of stuff. And I'm not, let me be clear here. I'm not sitting here and saying, you know, give yourself a pat on the back for being at this point uh, on the back for being at this point right now. It, it's obviously a good thing. And their plan and their record is just about where we thought, thought where it was going to be. But I'm not at the point right now, you know, I'll wait until the end of the season before I'm able to like, look at this holistically. I'm analyzing this right now on a game to game and with where they are right now, you, we can't be talking about the status and the state of this team based on 
where we thought they were going to be at the beginning of the season. Because as we talked about over these past few weeks, evaluations change the way that the, the roadmap is changes as the season goes along. And while maybe record wise, this team is where we thought they would be, you know, a few games over 500, that doesn't change the fact that they are firmly in a playoff content. They're firmly in playoff contention right now. There needs to be a, a little bit of pressure internally to get over the hump here and get out of this. And so while, you know, a month from now when the season's over with and we're able to look back and maybe they miss the playoffs, but they still, as we said, finish a few games over 500 or whatever. Yeah, that will be the time where we can look back and say that. But the fact of the matter is, is we need to evaluate and judge these guys based on what they are doing on a night to night basis. And these past two weeks have there's just been some inexcusable losses in here. And again, that I, I completely understand and believe that this is also a part of the the, the growing curve here. And you want to think that going into next season when the stakes are much higher and it's playoffs or bust that you're not going to run into these problems and you're going through these growing pains now to prepare you for being in this exact same spot next year. Totally get that. But last night, inexcusable. You cannot lose that game. And I'll blame it on the players. I'll blame it on goaltending. I'll blame it on Granado. It's all of them. You cannot lose that game when you have multiple two-goal leads. Even in the third period, you had a two-goal lead, and and you just collapse. And this has been a reoccurring theme for this team. Again, like I said before, like I I just I can't wrap my head around it. And it's just it's brutal that when you again going back to my point about evaluating where the team is now as compared to the preseason expectations. Columbus should have been a win. Okay. Edmonton should have been a win. Islanders should have been a win. I know that there was the Hudson fashion call, but it doesn't matter. It should have been a win. And we had talked about it. There were decisions that were made leading into those games that were questionable and that can go back to coaching. I I mean, again, like goalie deployment, I don't think anybody would say that it was either of the goalies fault for how either of those games went against, uh, the Islanders and Edmonton, but as Denis and I talked about there absolutely though, was the potential to question who you were going to play on each given night, given the, the type of teams that you were going up against two drastically different teams in Edmonton and the Islanders. And then, you know, you, you get killed by Dallas. You lose that overtime game to the Rangers, another one that they should win. And I know at this point, the playoff odds have got to be, below 10% now I would assume I think they were about 14% going into last night and I think it would have fluctuated a a few percentage points in either direction based on a win or a loss there but like I am at the point now that even though the playoff hopes are fleeting if they lose on Friday night it's not even worth even if they are still in contention us talking about it anymore like if you lose to Philly in this spot after after losing that game last night and you don't come out against Philly with just an absolute fire under your ass, there's no sense in any of us even entertaining the idea of them going on some kind of run. Yeah, no, definitely. And I did want to mention one more thing because I because I was caught in, in the rain earlier. I completely forgot about it. And I'm sure a lot of people were also thinking the same thing. In overtime, uh, like I said, a lot of missed opportunities. Um there was also the issue of uh, Jeff Skinner getting blatantly tripped yep. in the 
in the offensive zone, they let that go. And I figure again, they don't call a lot of things. And then at the end of the, at the end of overtime, it did not mattering, but calling Dylan cousins for a trip in a pretty similar situation. So I didn't love that. But anyway, yeah, a lot of things to blame. I just, I think the, the NHL, that being like their status, it's not like, like the reason I get mad about it is because it's, it's just what they do as a league and it makes it a worse league to watch. Even with scoring going up, power plays aren't, and they're letting a lot of shit like that go. And they're still doing the, still doing the same thing where it really doesn't matter if you're good at drawing penalties as a team. It doesn't, because it doesn't matter if you're disciplined and don't take penalties because there's no, there's no benefit to doing that. Well, anyway, uh, to what you said, yeah, I agree. I think they've really dropped the ball during the stretch. We knew how bad, tough a stretch this game was, tough of a stretch of games this was. And you know, even with getting blown out by Boston and Dallas, those aren't even really the games that bother me much. It's like Not you at mentioned all. Columbus. Yep, that's uh, a very bad loss, and it's it's you're going to lose to someone in this Islanders, Edmonton, Rangers, Washington stretch. But losing all four of those by one goal and getting two total points out of it, it's it's devastating honestly. And the, the big problem is that they're in all these games. They just, they need one thing to go right. It says I wasn't here last. Well, I wasn't here last. What was it? Thursday show. Mm-hmm. We didn't really mention it too much. Uh, I gotta, I gotta emphasize to Don Granato that it is actually not against the law to pull a goalie. Oh. So, <sighs> and it's actually, it might work oh. out well for that goalie and the team sometimes to pull them when the game is going poorly. Well, I, it, this brings up a good point about Granado that I, I would like to, I guess, get your thoughts on and talk about a little bit. And again, with everything I was saying before on my little thing I was saying and uh, my spiel I went on there, it applies to this as well. Um, I, I don't want to like just look at this, I guess, in the sake of I was talking about Granado, I should say, in the like short term of everything, you know, because of the fact that Granado has shown that he is the kind of coach that can adapt. He's the kind of coach that can change whether it's line combinations, if they need to be, not that I always agree with what he ends up putting his combinations as, but that's beside the point. He he's flexible with making that change. He's flexible with changing as we've seen the structure of the power play, which they were looking really bad for a while. And then they start to change it up a little bit. You start to see some success. I know we get frustrated about it now, but like relative to the rest of the league, the power play is not a problem for us right now. Um, Production wise, that is production. Yes. But with Granado, with regard to both, this, whether you want to call it the park in the bus in the third period or lack thereof, I guess, but like his, his approach in the third period with the team, whatever it may be, as well as with the pulling the goalie thing, like those are two areas where it's been repeated issues and like not even really a matter for uh, of debate, like glaringly obvious mistakes on his part. And he hasn't, really come around on that I feel like in the way that we all would have wanted him to or that he's shown at least that he has I mean so I guess going back to my point Taylor and looking at at these two things specifically both the third period strategy and pulling the goalie I don't want to think it's a long-term cause for concern that this is going to be like a McDermott thing for example where it's just like he's you know shits his pants in big moments or whatever or he just (laughs) continues to do the wrong thing when he just, again, it's like proven wrong time and time again. 
But I don't know. Is this something that you feel like is a cause for concern with Granado? Obviously, it's something we have to keep monitoring as the season goes on here and they're playing more of these games. But like, is it worrisome to you, I guess, both the the pulling the goalie strategy and their approach in the third period? Yeah, absolutely. That's the well, I guess a little bit of both. I mean, the, the third period thing might be it might come with uh, experience for the players so that we'll, I'd like to keep an eye on that. The goalie thing is bewildering. Like, who who wants a goalie out there for 10 goals? No one wants that. I know I, I we could be arguing about him having a, a slow trigger finger on that, and that's that'd be less of a concern if he was trying to do that. But just not pulling a goalie at all, It's goalies don't want that. Famously, Patrick Waugh requested a trade because he was left in uh, left out there, you know, to hang out to dry against the Red Wings and whatever that was, 1995 or whatever. This is like one of the most famous things in NHL history, super consequential, directly led to two Stanley Cups happening. It's, uh, it's, it's I, I can't, I, I don't know, uh, I don't, I've never, I, I never even imagined this being a, a thing we'd have to deal with. This, this coach won't pull the goalie no matter how bad he's doing. Well, I it's, also think too, <laughs> even pulling the goalie at the end of the game though, when you're down. Yeah. There was the whole fiasco with, the, I mean, it, yeah. It, yeah. It's, it's crazy to me. Yeah. And then the, th- the third period, I think, you know, like I said, that's something that they could, they can get better at as a team. I don't know how much strategy wise it is. I just think a lot of NHL teams kind of go into that more defensive shell when they're up at least two. And then when they're up one late, I don't know. I Maybe it's, uh, maybe it's something that they just need to work on as a team. Well, with the, it's not even the, the worst thing in the world though, for them, because they probably do need to be more defensive minded because it's just not a defensive minded roster. Well, dude, and so that that was actually the point that I wanted to make with regard to that. Do I think that they should be taking their foot off the gas in the third period? Absolutely not. Do I agree with you though, that they need to be more defensively minded in general, but especially in the third period when you're trying to hold on to a lead. Yes. Like 100% here. I want to be clear that like, yes, while I do think that they still need to be able to like, play their up-tempo offensive game in the third period, even while they are winning. I don't think that it's a, a bad thing that he tries to get them to lock it down. But the fact of the matter is, is that whatever they're doing is not working in those spots. Yeah. Like, True. you know, we don't have to get into the, the nitty gritty of it. It's just like, you can look at it and say, well, this has repeatedly failed. You have repeatedly even in this last stretch, but like also throughout the season have had this happen where you have had multiple two goal leads throughout a game, three goal leads and you lose them. And again, I just go back to like, for sure I can get down with the idea that these guys are young and maybe just like with this for a lot of them being their full first full season, it's catching up with them a little bit, but something's not working with that and it needs to get addressed and it needs to get fixed. If not the end of this year, it needs to be something that Granado, when he's doing his, you know, summer work and looking ahead to next season, he needs to figure out because they can't keep doing this. It's not sustainable. And while I love the fact that I would love for them to just be able to be a team that can just outscore all of their problems. If you just have this complete and total lackluster defensive presence in the third period, especially that's going to catch up to you and the outscoring everybody's not going to matter if you're just like completely collapsing in these key moments. 
and make a fucking save. Jesus. Make yeah. a fucking save down the stretch here, guys. Come on. Yeah. Should that lead us into the goalies? <laughs> Our goalie talk that we're going to have? I guess. Yeah. Do you want to take the lead on that? Yeah. So I'm just seeing this right now. Um, Elliot Friedman um, dropped uh, some notes from the GM meetings. And there's a screenshot here from Sabres fan who's at is Chuck E. Goods. Um, Frequently and, interacts with us on Twitter, I believe. Yeah. Thank yeah. you, Chuck. Um it says, make no mistake, the Sabres have made it clear that they want him, meaning Devin Levi, in the organization right away. They weren't thrilled by reports. They were interested in trading a goalie, or sorry, in adding a goalie prior to the trade deadline because they'd made it clear to Levi and his advisors there would be a legit route to the NHL if he showed he was ready. We'll see where this goes on Thursday. Levi is thinking it over, and he's shown he's not afraid to consider non-traditional pathways, but he's clearly ready for professional hockey. The Sabres have swiped right for this tender date. I don't love that ending. Chill, Elliot. Yeah, Chill. easy there. Relax. Yeah. It's a fucking John Butchie Gross ass ending there. <laughs> that's a brutal insult. Sorry, Elliot. But anyway, that's very interesting to me. Um, well, that that, that kind of tells me that they're not going to do too much in that over the summer. And I think one other thing with the Levi conversation that's important to keep in mind, I'm not pressing the panic button yet. I want to see what happens by the end of this week. However, it is notable that two of his Northeastern teammates, Jaden Struble and Aiden McDonough, both signed entry-level contracts this week. So all reports, all indications have been that the Sabres are going to sign Levi. Levi is going to sign. He wants to be here. I mean, honestly, I just, maybe there, this is a little bit of like Homer bias, I guess, but like, is there a better situation in the NHL that a young goalie could be walking into than the Sabres? I mean, they have completely rolled out the red carpet for him. Like obviously trading Portillo, he wasn't going to sign anyways, but even that aside, like you're walking into a team that is on the cusp of playoff contention right now that has no clear viable future starter in net aside from you. And like, they're ready to go. Like this team next year could be a playoff team. Like, I don't think that, anybody would think it would be a good idea to have Levi as the starting goalie out of the gate here. But like this organization has given him every possible assurance that he is their long-term solution in net and any additions that would be made in goal next year, which they absolutely need to make will be a bridge to him. Like, yeah. And again, historically speaking, it's very, very rare that a goalie makes the jump right from juniors or right from college into the NHL. And the times that it has happened, even when it's been the most promising of goalies, Carter Hart, it has not gone <laughs> yeah. so well. No, yeah. You need some time to cook and to get adjusted to the professional game. And, I mean, if he's going to, you know – if he has it, and this is again purely speculation, let me be completely clear about that. But if he's having issues because he wants to have a direct path to start on this team day one, I got news for you, buddy. There is not a fucking franchise in the NHL that would be starting him from that would be starting a, a college goalie from day one. Yeah, it just doesn't happen. No, it's, so it's I'm not crazy. Yeah, like I'm not. I don't want to say I'm worried, but if he doesn't sign by the end of the week. Monday's episode, I think, is going to be a little bit of a different tone. I, I know people have pointed out, I think it was Joe from the Charging Buffalo had said that everybody, because of, you know, 
uh, Cal Peterson has this distorted view of guys signing Jimmy VC have got with guys signing here out of college and it just being this thing. But <laughs> we just saw it happen with Portillo. I know optimism is, you know, on the upswing when it comes to Ryan Johnson, but we have to wait and see if he's going to sign and we got to wait with Devin Levi. And until the point comes that those two guys, but especially Levi sign the longer and longer that this goes on, I, my worry meter is going to be going up a little bit. Absolutely. And I think understandably like that, that's not some reactionary fear because of Cal Peterson. Like this is a very real thing. This is, we, we cannot just go into this blindly being like, well, he's going to sign just because it happened that one time doesn't mean it's going to happen again. Because in the inverse of that is like, well, it happened once it also can happen again too. Yeah. If you just have to analyze this situation by itself, which if he signs by the end of the week, by the time we talk on Monday, um, then f- great. But he doesn't, that would make this an interesting situation because he already went back to school kind of unnecessarily for a year. You can look at it both ways, but it, it was very unnecessary for his, his actual development as a hockey player. Um, and if he doesn't, if he's kind of dragging his feet and signing, I don't know how long it's been since the season ended, but I think it's been kind of clear that Northeastern wasn't going to go to the tournament. So yeah. he knew that ending was coming. So I, you figure he had a decision to make and he was going to make it sooner rather than later. I don't know what demands he'd be making the Sabres. They didn't add anyone at the deadline. Is he saying that he wants to be in the NHL next year? What if they tell him like, no, well, what if they tell him yes. And then he's not, mm-hmm. then he'll have no choice. Like, I don't really understand that. Like he's going to have to, it's going to be an entry level deal. So he'll get, he's going to be able to be in Rochester. And does he really want to be in the NHL next year? Cause I, Let's go over this real quick. The people that he's been compared to at the college level, the goalies that have had a save percentage as good as he had last year, I think there's four guys total, one of whom is him, was like 945. You know, you have Ryan Miller, and Ryan Miller, we remember, was in Rochester for a couple of years. And Frank, part of that was because of the – well, he came up at the end of 0203. They tried to start at the beginning of 0304. didn't go well. Went terribly. That's another good example. Went terribly. He went back down for the rest of that season yep. and the entire lockout season. He was in Rochester and then finally came up in 05, 06 for full-time duty. You have Jimmy Howard was another, another one of those guys who had that good of a save percentage in college. He played three years at the university of Maine. He graduated in 2005 or left in 2005. I don't know if he graduated. He became the Red Wings full-time goalie in 2009. So he was, he spent a lot of time in the AHL. And while we're doing this real quick, I'm going to look up uh, Connor Hellebuck because he's the other one that uh, he's been compared to. So I don't know, I suppose you know offhand how long Connor Hellebuck. Um, I don't, but I'll fill in while you look that up really quick. So one of the things too that I think is a little bit worrisome if he doesn't sign by the end of the week is the fact that going into this past season, the entire narrative surrounding him going back, and he himself said this too, is that he wanted to try and make another run in the NCAA tournament. He wanted to play in the bean pot again. He wanted to be a leader on his team. Last year was like a, a clear breakout for him. And this year it was like, okay, the pressure's on now. I want to come back. I want to do this. I understand you didn't make the tournament, but you were the hockey East player of the year. You won the bean pot. What more accolades could you want? Like what could possibly be keeping him? What more go to be you? If you want to want to make a run in the tournament, man, right. Northeastern. I'm not a college hockey expert, but man, I I don't know what to tell you. What more could he, could he want out of his college experience right now? Like you have done it and you have the opportunity now to walk into an organization where 
not from day one will you be the day one starter, but you will be the organizational number one, the number yeah. one priority in that for this team. Like, I just I cannot see any scenario where he can say I'm going back for another year for whatever reason X Y Z to benefit myself, and that not being just like a complete load of bullshit. Also, be kind of unprecedented for a guy of his stature. A hundred percent. He's if he does this, if he goes back for another year and then doesn't eventually, let's say, doesn't sign with the Sabers, he's going to have cost himself like millions of dollars by pushing his ELC back as far as he has. But let me real quick finish what I was saying earlier. Hellebuck finished at UMass Lowell in 2014, played one full year in the AHL, one year split between the AHL and NHL, and then in 2016-17 was full-time NHL and was just okay. And then 2017-18, he was really good. So that's a full – like he had a full three years of being not a real good NHL goalie. And then, you know, was a good. So basically, what I'm saying is this takes a little bit of time. I think multiple people pointed out too on Twitter that uh, this, there's not really a lot of recent history of goalies under 24 even being good starters in the NHL. Like there's there's not even that many examples of them being full time starters. Goalies have taken way longer than forwards and defensemen of late. So that's like one example people brought up was, oh, Thatcher Demko, you can't trip for him. He signed for three more years. It's like Levi is going to be 24 when that contract. Like, buddy, yes, you can. <laughs> you you super can. Yeah. I think another the other day, example... also, you can't be held hostage by um, someone either if you don't know they're going to sign. On the other hand, just just sign, man. Like, like this is a good situation. And if you don't mm-hmm. like it, you can force a trade. Like, ask Ryan O'Reilly. It worked out well for him. Well, right. And I, I, another example, too, I know we're using the, you know, the the collegiate goalie examples here, too. But just in terms of a guy coming over from a junior league, a junior level league and finding his way and people being like, OK, well, maybe he's a year off. And then it's actually not that much. Linus Allmark is another perfect example of that. He has his first season in Rochester in 2015-16. He plays about 30 games, 28 games he plays. Then the next year you have 2016, 17, he starts 55 games and everybody's kind of thinking like, okay, well, 2017, 18, like that's going to be the one, this will be the one. Nope, not exactly. He gets five starts in 2017, 18. He plays 44 games in Rochester. I know also, I'm pretty sure that there was some injuries in the mix there too, but he was progressively getting better here. Like it, it, it was an Ascension. It, It wasn't just like, all right, he needs a year and then he's good. And I know with Levi, that's a very real possibility that that could be the case. But like that in and of itself is the whole reason why you do not shy away from trading for Thatcher Demko or going all out. And if you can go get UC Saros or somebody like that, because saying that he's going to need one year in Rochester and then he's going to be ready to make the jump is literally the most optimistic view of this that this, that you could possibly have but yeah. that is the that you would need absolutely everything to go right in his development in that scenario and to the points that we've been making here it's it's just highly unlikely it's not like it's anything that's like a a knock on him or his game or his ability or anything like that. It's just, it, it never happens that a guy is able to do that. Could he be the exception to the rule? Yeah, absolutely. And if he was, that'd be great. But like, 
I think him being even the day one starter in, in 24, 25 is a little bit unrealistic. Yeah. I don't love this idea that because he, I guess is kind of insecure about his seemingly insecure about his potential to come and have a path to the NHL that they need to bring back UPL and Comrie as a duo next year. And the only other thing I'll say too, is that every single report that we have seen, whether it's from Chad, whether it's Levi's interviews, it has always been after this year, he is going to sign after this year, he's going to sign. Like it, it's, it was just like a foregone conclusion that it, it's happening. And yeah, like, again, like, I'm just wondering if he doesn't, what could have changed? And I'm not saying that to be like an alarmist or anything like that, but it's a real thing. Like two of your teammates have signed and we'll see what happens. Like Monday, we could be talking and being like, yeah, okay, nothing to worry about. But what possibly could have changed when the Sabres are outperforming expectations? I think we could say like, maybe not to like Sabres fans, but like relative to the NHL, they are outperforming expectations right now. So what could change his mind if it was such a foregone conclusion? I don't know. That's that's a tremendous question. I guess we're going to have to see where the weekend takes us because it whole thing is strange to me that a goalie would kind of demand or, and and the GM would acquiesce to that demand. Honestly, if you're a GM, like maybe Kevin Adams needs to lead into his like Dean Lombardi, Lou Lamorello, like a bag of demon tricks and just be like, (laughs) yeah, sure. It's going to be UPL comedy next year. Clear path, bud. And then as soon as Rochester, Levi's in Rochester and he signed, you know, he's like, oh, say hi to your backup. It's Eric Comrie. And we have placeholder X here. I cannot have Eric Comrie on this team next year. Even in Rochester? I, I, no. That's not really fair to have him in Rochester either. Just, Just wave him. Wave him or like, I don't know. If someone, I don't know who the hell would want him in a trade. So. You might, you could actually honestly remember when we just loaned Matt Molson out for nothing to LA's uh, AHL yeah. team. Let's do that. You do that to Comrie. Someone might hey. want him in Rochester in, in the AHL. So one thing I want to bring up too, because we were talking about it before with regard to UPL looking absolutely clueless last night. Somebody had posted Mike McKenna actually um, from Daily Faceoff posted a video. Here's the pre-scout before last night. Kuznetsov is four or five in the shootout this year with the exact same move, four goals and one post. At some point, the goalie needs to go nuclear and attack him with a classic jam play slash slide tackle. Why not? Being patient isn't working. And I remember the odd quoted it and said, good work by Sabres goalie and staff to be prepared last night. My friend Kev just texted me that and like, that's bad. Four or five on the year doing that the exact same move. Yeah. And it sounds like five of five in terms of beating goalies since the other one hit the post. Yeah. Yep. Major problem, major, major, major problem. That's gotta well, be. We've seen people try to slow down before when they get within five feet, you just go at them. Right. Like, like they're going to get screwed up. As soon as they lose the puck, it's over. It's not like there's a rebound coming. Right. When you're stick handling like that, that fast too, and that in tight, like as you're going that slow, come on, like you gotta go yeah. for that. And again, that's a that's a scouting problem right there. Like you gotta absolutely. That's the coaches need to be going over that with him. Like that's just crazy to me. Yeah. Well, folks, before we get to anything else, let's hear a word from our sponsors. Um, starting with DraftKings, ready for the underdogs, the upsets, and the unbelievable action from DraftKings Sportsbook. 
The biggest tournament in college basketball is here. It's the NIT, folks. No, I'm just kidding. It's the, it's the I'm sorry, I can't say what it is. <laughs> this is an ad. That's right. <laughs> right now, new customers can bet just $5 on college hoops and get $200 in bonus bets instantly. Plus, for a limited time, all customers can score a no-sweat bet during round one, one and two of the tournament. Go to the app, opt in, and place a no-sweat bet this weekend. If it doesn't hit, you'll get a bonus bet back up to $10. Wow. Very interesting. Folks, Damn. yeah, you know what I'm feeling? Because this is the part where I'm supposed to talk about matchups and whatnot. I don't know what I'm – I think Kansas is going to be a hot pick, but Kansas won last year. And I feel like in our lifetime, teams that are defending champions have a strong regular season – they get bounced. So I'm not feeling Kansas. You know who I'm kind of feeling? This is going to sound insane because they love losing, and this isn't uh-huh. even one of their better teams. It's Gonzaga. I kind of feel like, hey, the pressure's off. They're a three seed. They're not the Gonzaga powerhouses of the past. This is Drew Timmy's era. This is it. Coming down to this year, maybe a longer, not super long shot, but longer shot Final Four bet on the three seed Gonzaga. Give it a shot, folks. Anyway, download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now, and you sign up with promo code THPN. New customers can bet $5 and get $200 in bonus bets instantly, win or lose. Only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code THPN. Minimum age and eligibility restrictions apply. See show notes for details and responsible gambling resources. Well, folks, we're almost at the weekend. In the weekend in Buffalo, it only means one thing. It's time to get to Thin Man Brewery. There are two convenient locations on Elmwood Avenue and Chandler Street. It's not just any weekend either, folks. It's St. Patrick's Day weekend. So what is it? What, uh, what's going on for uh, Patty's Day at Thin Man? Well, they got food specials, drink specials, shot specials, everything in Elmwood this week. So much going on. They have Thursday to Sunday, $5 local Irish porters, Rubens and Rachel's, Moriarty Irish bangers, specialty cocktails, Tullamer Dew specials, and... Tullamer Dew is the official Irish whiskey of straight-up Sabres. I don't know if people know that. I uh, wouldn't mind if they threw us a couple bucks for that. And $5 pints of local Irish Thursday and Friday. Uh, and then Friday, especially, uh, Tullamer Dew. The Tullamer Dew girls will be in the house from 7 to 10 with wee samples and good times. That's interesting. Might have to check that out. And, uh, yeah, the, the bangers, you can check out a picture of them on the, on the Instagram. Very interesting. It's Irish bangers and mash. Anyway, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Thin Man, especially on Elmwood, they got a lot going on. Hey, and, speaking uh, of you which, know, yeah, and then happy, Monday, happy sixty seventh birthday to Yvonne. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Very exciting. The big you know, six seven. Yeah, he actually celebrated his twenty first way back in the day at the opening of Swanee House. Wow. Which, yeah. What's the math on that? What year would that have been? 18 something. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Crazy. Yeah. Good for him. Really exciting. Yeah. Glad he's still out here. One more year. We <laughs> love it. Thin Man Brewery. <laughs> yeah. We have our trivia night coming up, though, everybody. So on Monday, March 20th. We will be hosting Buffalo Sports Trivia at Thin Man Elmwood, 8 p.m. as we 
talked about on our last episode. You can hit up Thin Man and get a reservation ahead of time. Last time it was a packed house. It was really great. We had a, a blast. And this time around, Thin Man is opening up the arcade room now too. So there's going to be additional seating in there. Taylor and I are hosting. We're working on questions, coming up with these categories. We're going to be announcing them on Monday. So it's going to be really, really exciting. So make sure you are going to come and join us. There's going to be prizes in addition to just like gift cards and stuff for the winners. We also are going to have some signed merch that we're going to be giving away too for folks who are particularly killing it at trivia. And then there's obviously, as usual, the great food and drinks that Thin Man always has to offer. So we hope you join us Monday, March 20th, 8 p.m. Get there a little bit early to reserve your spot. Buffalo Sports Trivia hosted by Taylor and I. We love it, folks. We can't wait. Yep. Check it out. So that means every day from Thursday to Monday. And you, know, you might as well go there on Tuesday. You don't want the hangover to hit you all at once. So Hair the dog. Thin Man Brewery. All right. What else do we have to talk about this uh, hockey team of ours? Uh, Matt Savoy being really, really fucking good. I'm sure oh, everybody yeah. has seen his highlight reel goal from uh, what day was this on? I believe this was on Monday, I want to say. Um, or maybe it was Tuesday actually, but it, it's just incredible. And it, it just, it shows all of the things that make Savoy such a special player. The, the play starts off in his own zone and, you know, Winnipeg then retrieves the puck back after a little takeaway. He gets hit on the outlet pass at his own blue line skates direct line up to the opposing blue line where he has a defender in a one-on-one scenario and just like, slides the puck by the defender uses his both his speed and his honestly his strength for being such a small guy to just completely will his way around the defender splitting a second defender too who was coming in to try and help and support gets a breakaway with again a guy on him and just rifles it past the goalie I mean it was so impressive and I think it's a perfect example that kind of a play is exactly why Savoy could potentially make this team next year. We'll we'll have to wait and see, obviously, how it goes. And I know, obviously, there's a lot of questions about just translating his game, but it, it just it feels like with how he's played over these last couple of months that this guy has gotten everything that he could possibly be getting out of the WHL. And the play in particular, again, you have his breakaway speed, his straight line speed. You have the stick handling ability to be able to just like – get the puck to an area of open ice and then be able to just turn the jets on while you have one guy to get around another guy coming in for support. And he's able to stay strong on his skates at with his, his small, what is he? Five, nine, his five, nine frame bursts right through wins. The battle has a guy on his back and still is able to put, put a puck behind. I mean, the word that we keep using with him is just this tenacity in his game. Like he is just like a bastard out there. He is so fast He's he's quick. He has quick feet, great hands, dynamic playmaker, and he just plays with a little bit of bite in his game. And it's just like this dude is going to be awesome for this team. Very, as people pointed out, very reminiscent of Danny Briere. Yes. I'm more of a Carson Briere guy, but yeah, so I think. (laughs) Just kidding. Taylor. Just kidding. (laughs) About to get kicked off of his second hockey team. Oh my god, that what a little bastard. Anyway, uh, so yeah, well, so, like, come on, and also to that statement that the the Flyers and Mercyhurst both put out was just weak as baby shit, man. Yeah, 
horrible. Anyways, yeah. go ahead. If people don't know what we're talking about, that's actually fine. You don't have to yeah, know. Yeah, you, you don't um, want to. Oh. So Savoy, I'm really excited. Like, I'm, I know this sounds like a low bar, but the Sabres didn't screw up their ninth overall pick. Uh, Woo! Yeah. There we go. Yeah, it just it's, he seems super fun. It kind of makes me wonder what they're going to do with him next year, just because I think he can't play in the AHL, if I'm not mistaken. So I that's going to lead to... Oh, who do you have? Cool at Savoy in the NHL or both. And you're gonna have two really young fellas. Uh anyway, that, it this year. Be, yeah. I mean, it should be a interesting, interesting dynamic going forward. But yeah, he seems good. It's very, it's, very I don't know. Good. It's cool to have him around like a little little skilled guy like that. And yeah, it's just it's exciting how many uh good young fellas there are. Well, and this is actually just to bring up, I mean, it's just, it was bothering me a little bit the other day, Walt, our pal Sabermetrics had made a, made a point about this, that what were the, I, I get it that there's question marks in net right now. Like I know we just had that whole conversation about Levi and we just got rid of Portillo, but again, I just go back and I'm like, what were they doing taking Linonen in the second round of last draft? Like he could turn into a great player. Do not get me wrong, but like, there were reports suggesting that he could have been had later. I know that he was viewed as the top goalie in the draft and there was a goalie that was taken ahead of him. And so you want to obviously be aware there's going to be a run, but like, dude, Seamus Casey and, and more so Lane Hudson were right there, right there. Lane Hudson just put up 44 points in 34 games as a freshman at Boston university as a defenseman. And this team just has a wasteland of defensemen right now and like beyond obviously you know samuelson power and Darlene. again time will tell who knows maybe linonen turns into a nice goalie someday but like man oh man that just seems to be like such a miss from this front office and scouting department yeah i know I mean, you're that's... not a prospects guy but i just wanted to bring that up because it's been just bothering me how much i've been thinking about it well do you think it bothers levi at all that they took a goalie in the second round I mean, I'd hope not because of the fact that I'm sure they're explaining it to him, but like he, he has a long path before he's going to be in the AHL even like Linonen probably has at least probably like two more years, I think overseas before he ends up coming over, I would have to think. Okay. Like he's Interesting. a, I think I feel like he was more of like a project goalie where it's like he's young and he's got to just like put it together, but like the potential is there. I don't know. I, I mean, I would hope not. It's also just like, you know, running a fucking hockey team. Yeah. <laughs> like you need to have depth and everything like that. And so I get that, but I, I would really hope that that is not something that is bothering him. And again, I want to just reemphasize, neither of us are being alarmists about this. Like we don't know. We we're, we're about to publish this episode at noon on Thursday and Again, like we said, there's a very real chance that by Monday we're talking about him being signed and, and reporting to Rochester. So, like, we don't know. But well, what's going to happen to Michael Hauser? It, it is the question on everybody's mind. That's unfair. Honestly, I actually don't know if Hauser's the one they get rid of or Subban. I assume it's Hauser. But you know what? Thank you, King. You had you gave us better memories in 2021 than Carter Hutton did. And I appreciate that. Snaps for that. We love it. Any last thoughts you'd like to share? Do you have any recommendations, Taylor? Wow. Um, so the Oscars happened. Uh, 
I was on a plane, so I watched them late. So some people might have heard this uh, little movie, Everything Everywhere All at Once, mm. did very well. Yeah. They won, let's see, Best Original Screenplay, Best Editing, Best best Supporting Actor. Yep, Supporting Actor, Supporting Actress, actress and Lead Actress. Su- lead Actress and Best Picture. Yeah. So they did pretty good, I would say. Um, so, you know, if you want to check movie. that out, it's a pretty good movie. Uh, but, you know, I think there's uh, a little movie that got shut out that I would like to shout out. It's called The Banshees of Inisherin. Mm. And I've, I believe I've mentioned it on here before. I almost I think this is your second that. or third time recommending. Yeah. And like, you know, there's only one, um, only one person or movie can win each award. But I think Banshees was right in most of them. They, they were in Best Supporting Actress, Best Actor, Best Supporting Actor, uh, Best Original Screenplay, Best Picture. They were right there for all of those. And they could have won any of them. It wouldn't have been an upset if they did. So, in fact, they might have had two guys for Best Supporting Actor, which is pretty crazy. But yeah, that's a movie to uh, to check out, I think. It's, cool. it's very good, kind of melancholy, but also very funny. So I want to. You I, saw I Tar, movie. right? I did. I saw every Best Picture nominee. Obviously. Yeah. What am I saying? Yeah. I want to watch that. That seems like it's a pretty interesting movie as well. I actually have to finish The Banshees of Inisherin because I started watching it late on like a weekend one night and totally fell asleep during it. Not because I was like bored or anything like that, like really great performances. And I'm excited to see the second half of the movie. But yeah, I got to got to watch the rest of that. And then I want to watch Tar too. Um, Tar is uh, divisive, but I come down on the good side. Really? Okay. Yeah. The thing with Tar is it is extremely long and also detailed. So you kind of have to pay attention. Right. Yeah, it's long. This is a year of uh, really long movies. That's crazy. <laughs> yeah, because Triangle of Sadness is also extremely long. I don't really recommend that, to be honest. Um, that was the last one I watched. But yeah, Fablemans was also extremely long. Mm. A, lot of, a lot of long movies this year nominated for Best Picture, including Avatar. Avatar, you, oh my god, it was like over three. What did you think of Jimmy Kimmel, host, Jimmy Kimmel hosting? It was not his strongest performance. Yeah. Uh, he's had good ones in the past, and I like him generally as a presence. But, like, I don't know. There's a lot of stuff that it felt kind of flat. Agreed. Agreed. Like, <laughs> trying to ask Malala about the Chris Pine. Um, Harry Salzing is like, hey, that's played out. That shit was, like, last July. Yeah. That was, like, a three-day thing on the internet. And, and of, what like, do you think going to say? Yeah, what is right. Malala going to say? I get the juxtaposition you're asking someone, you know, about like someone so prestigious about such a ridiculous thing, but like you're not going to get a fun answer, right? It was obvious that that was going to fall flat. Yeah, I don't know. I, I thought it was better than last year, um, last year's hosting, which was just three people going over about how much they don't like movies. <laughs> <laughs> like so, there you go. I did All appreciate right. uh, that they brought him back for the post will smith show after he hosted the la la land show so that was that was a nice touch yeah no for sure uh i am going to go with the last of us for mine just had the season one finale last weekend on sunday really really great show it was i think we had talked about it before i know i've been like on you about watching it because i think you'll really like it a lot pretty divisive finale um i think that from what i've read i haven't played the game but i have watched people play it like friends who have had it and just and have seen it a little bit um very divisive but what from what i understand though is 
relative to the game the on the tv adaptation of it though made it a little bit more like nuanced i guess in terms of the end like it's i don't want to give anything away obviously but um that aside really really great show i think one of the things that this show did really really well was in that hour time frame that they had oftentimes you would meet a character for only one episode and would be very compelled with the story and develop like an emotional attachment within you know just an hour an hour's time i'm specifically talking about episode three i'm talking about the episode from three weeks ago definitely not talking about the second to last episode holy shit crazy stuff happens in that one but Really, really good show all around. Pedro Pascal crushes it. Bella Ramsey crushes it in it. Um, and again, all of those like supporting cast who are there for there's some that are reoccurring throughout most of which, though, it's only for an episode or two at a time. And just a lot of really fantastic performances. So really, really recommend that. And then, hey, one other thing also I want to just bring up too. I am uh, co organizing a fundraiser and benefit concert. Um, So I told everybody back in November, uh, if you've been listening to the show this season about my sister passing away and her birthday is coming up on April 21st. And so myself and her partner, Jake, decided that we wanted to do something to properly honor her and her memory while also doing some good in the process for people who struggle with mental health issues. And so what we decided we're going to do is on April 21st, we're having a benefit concert at Nietzsche's. It's going to be a mix of both comedy and music. And there's also going to be a burlesque performance as well. Um, My sister was very involved in the comedy scene in Buffalo. She performed and had been doing stand-up for the past couple of years and was really, really great at it. And so the show is going to open up with uh, a bunch of her pals and some of Buffalo's best comedians doing stand-up sets. Um, Jake is a a really great comedian in his own right. And he's going to be hosting the evening, but some of my favorite local comedians are going to be performing. Jake Sampson is another Jake, a separate Jake. Jake Pisker is my Jake. Jake Sampson is uh, one of his pals, but is one of the funniest comedians in Buffalo. Liz Reeves, who I feel like just consistently gets recognized as one of Buffalo's, if not Buffalo's best comedian. She's also going to be performing and then some other folks as well. Then the strip teasers, which is a local burlesque troupe, they are going to be doing a performance. And then following that up is going to be a few bands who are going to be playing. Uh, my band Canadis is going to be closing out the night. So it's going to be a really great time. And all of the proceeds from that event, in addition to a GoFundMe that we had set up is uh, going to support re- uh, recovery options made easy in their new facility that they're opening up in East Buffalo. It's a brand new respite and recovery facility for folks struggling with mental health issues, with addiction issues. And uh, half of the of the building is going to be like beds for folks who are going who are in need for like extended stays. Um, and then the other half of it is actually going to be like a crisis center and helping people who are like struggling in the moment. And the great thing about it is that it's going to be teaming people up who are who reach out, who come in with folks who are uh, gone through extensive training, but also who have previously struggled with mental health or addiction issues. And so it's like a first of its kind model in New York state, but other states that are on the cutting edge of like how they handle mental health treatment. This is like the the platform and the the option that they use there. And, and there's been a lot of success with it. So it's really great that we're going to be having it in our own backyard here in Buffalo and East Buffalo specifically, because it's obviously no secret that there is 
disparity, racial disparities when it comes to access to healthcare, and especially when you're talking about Buffalo, which is like the third most segregated city in the in the country, I believe. It's just super important that this is going to be a facility that's accessible for all people in our community here. So Recovery Options Made Easy is the name of the organization. Really, really great people there, and we're really excited to be teaming up with them for this. But if you want to come to the concert, if you want to donate to the GoFundMe, if you would like to um, donate like a basket, because we're also going to be doing basket raffles and item raffles and 50-50, like people have been donating baskets and are also doing like art pieces, gift certificates, stuff like that. Um, you can check it out. You could follow me on my own personal Instagram or on Twitter, um, on Instagram at Brendan underscore or 14. And on Twitter, I am, I believe I'm, it's the same. Oh, it's Brendan dot, or I'm so horrible at remember. Oh, no. Twitter is Brendan underscore or 14. And on Instagram, I am Brendan dot or 14. So if you go to either of my profiles, you'll see the link in my bio. There is a link tree with links to, again, for the donations, for the tickets, and for the GoFundMe. We have a pretty ambitious fundraising goal. We're trying to raise $10,000. We just announced it yesterday and we raised over $750 in the first day. So we're off to a good start. But this is something that affects literally every person. One in five people in the U.S. struggle with some form of mental illness. So whether it's you yourself, if it's not you, it's a family member, it's a friend, it's a friend of a friend, somebody you know struggles with this. And in Buffalo, just the resources that we have are just flat out not cutting it. People are are dying. People are struggling in silence because they feel like they have nowhere to turn. And ultimately, as much as we want to be raising this money, we also want to highlight Rome and, and their incredible work that they're doing and, and the new facility. But also, we want it to be a night of, of healing and unity and for people who obviously, you know, want to come out and honor my sister, but also people who are struggling themselves and want to just feel a, a bit of connection and feel like they're not alone. So if anything that I'm saying right now resonates with you, I would really, really appreciate it if you would consider making a donation to the GoFundMe, coming out to the show, donating a basket or an item. It, it would really, really mean a lot to myself and my family. And uh, again, follow me on, on either... Um, or you don't even have to follow me. Just go to my Twitter or my Instagram and you could find it there. Or I believe you could just go to linktree.com slash the concert for Jen, J-E-N-N. And you could find that information there. So please consider making a donation. I'd, I'd very, very much appreciate it. And it's all in the name of a really good cause. We obviously know here in Buffalo, we're never strangers to trying to step up and do some good. And so, um, you know, let's let's try and do something for our own backyard to help people who who really need help right now. I'll be there. Hell yeah. Love that. All right, if everybody. If you uh, are a listener and you come up to the show, this doesn't count for anyone I actually know, and you come up to me at the thing, I will buy you a beer. We love that. There we go. We love a good Nietzsche's free beer. That's right. Also, bring cash. Nietzsche's is still cash only, right? True. Yes. Yeah, very much some, so. some practical advice there. Part of the charm, though, right? Just put yeah, it oh, sure. in there. Come on. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's a, it's a good time. Yeah, absolutely. All right, everybody. Well, thanks so much for tuning into this episode of Straight Up Sabres presented by the Hockey Podcast Network and the Charging Buffalo. Make sure you're checking out both the presenters of this podcast on their respective websites. Whatever streaming platform you're currently using to listen to this episode, make sure you're checking out all of our fellow shows across both networks and follow the Charging Buffalo and the Hockey Podcast Network on social media, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, where you can find us, Straight Up Sabres. So make sure you're throwing us a follow if you don't already. And again, whether it's Apple Music, Spotify, 
or Apple Podcasts, I should say, Spotify, Google Play, whatever it is, wherever you like to listen to Straight Up Sabres, make sure you are leaving us a nice little rating and also are subscribed and or following this podcast. Last but not least, make sure you're checking out both of our sponsors of this podcast and you can get more information in the show notes. But Thin Man Brewery, going to say them first this time around. Again, make sure you're getting involved with all the great St. Paddy's Day celebrations that they're going to have going on. Go check it out this weekend. Go check it out next week for dinner or drinks or whatever. And especially check it out on Monday, March 20th for Straight Up Sabres, Buffalo Sports Trivia Night, 8 o'clock. We hope to see you there. Last but not least, we have DraftKings. Use that promo code THPN at checkout to take advantage of great deals. We'll be back with a brand new episode on Monday, everybody. Thanks so much for tuning in. This has been Straight Up Sabres. Sabres.